Hi, my name is uh, Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and I am here with Dr. Tayton Shirley and Dr. Josh Fulman. And this is the pilot episode of Reason and Nonsense, a Great Books podcast. And the idea behind this is we're going to be um, having these conversations over the course of the semester. Of course, our target audience is going to be, for the most part, Great Books Honor students. And including alumni and anyone else who really just likes reading. Which, granted, may not be as many people as we would hope. Yeah, this could be a very small market to work with. Maybe we could, like, get in contact with some of your friends and... <laughs> they can... They My can... friends, specifically. Sure, yes, well, that's what we're going to go with. Okay, so one of the great things about this is it allows us to reach a broader audience talking about great books and things that matter, and it gives people insights into our uh, fairly crazy antics whenever we get together and discuss things of great importance that require reason or no importance that's pretty nonsensical. And I guess we'll leave it to you to decide like, who's actually going to be bringing more of the reason and more of the nonsense. We try to have a very varied group. One of the things I really like about this, of course, is that you know, this gets, allows me to fulfill my dream of being a radio star. Is that because of your face? <laughs> <laughs> you were just thinking this is, not, this is not the face for television, and so it's better right. if you're on radio? It's kind of like politics being showbiz for the ugly. That's, that's kind of how radio works as well. Is this why you always have a radio voice? Probably. It's the natural performer in me. But I've always wanted to go on the radio and scream, good morning, Vietnam, at the top of my lungs. Can I do that here? Uh, you may not. Especially you considering how close we are. This is probably not a good idea. Okay. Yeah, and for the audio, we are extremely close, probably closer than we have ever been standing next to each other in the history of the Great Books program. It is radically uncomfortable. <laughs> Dr. Shirley keeps touching me, and I'm, it's just I'm not very comfortable with it. I suppose if I were to come out and scream, good morning, Vietnam, number one, most of the students wouldn't have any idea what that meant. And two, I'd end up coming off like uh, Michael Scott from The Office when he gets in front of all the salesmen. I was even warned. So I went on this recruiting trip uh, just last week. And I was told by a student, Kylan Wimblish, shout out to Kylan, um, that I really shouldn't make jokes. He says I'm funny. He says he listens to me in class. And I'm one of the few chapel speakers he'll actually take his earbuds out for. Is he, is he serious when he says that? He is funny? serious when he says that. But he says it's a relational kind of humor. And I have no relationship with these students. So I go down and recruit at this high school. And I'm trying to create a meaningful chapel experience by connecting to them, speaking their Gen Z lingo and making lots of pop cultural references. Um, you know, okay. talking about... Pop culture references, you mean um, your pop culture? Or Kim Kardashian. Um, Huda Beauty. Is that what? Huda Beauty, that's a social influencer. Social media influencer. See, he could be making all this up and we just read it on No, no, she's in the top 10. Top she's 10 top what? 10, top 10 social media influencers. What number is she? I don't know, like maybe four? So do you think it's that your references are not really what they know and what appeals to them? Or do you think it's just that it's you delivering? Oh, I'm sure I did a horrible job. <laughs> Um, so much so that the person who came after me had actually said, um, you'll, got, you'll get Dr. Fulman's sarcasm one day. Um, wow. Yeah. But when I went there and I delivered this, what I thought was a very humorous talk, um, it was just crickets. No one responded. No one thought I was funny. Uh, I made jokes and people would correct me while I was making jokes. So it was exactly like an episode of The Office. It was one of the more uncomfortable moments of my life. I'm hoping that doesn't get replicated here. Uh, hopefully, when when we're talking, people are responding in a 
jovial fashion. Well, now, is that because you did you not follow Kylan's advice? Were you attempting to be funny? I, yeah, that's right. I, I neglected Kylan's advice and I then repented for it and even told him so in person that I really just shouldn't try and make jokes to high schoolers. Should not try to connect with them. I should not make pop culture references. I should not be a dad. Maybe college is your limit. Either Maybe. you're only humorous to college and above. I don't think I'm really humorous to them. I think it's just because I have my, their grade in my hands. Well, he's also like so a step away from Santa though. Claus, and it's hard to like laugh at <laughs> Santa, Santa Claus. Claus. With the gray beard joke. Oh, you know they can't see the gray beard, right? Which is so why your joke isn't funny. What, what, but this is why I made the reference. Because whereas previously they were like, oh, listen to this person's voice, who apparently has a radio voice, who has a very, very large head. Also, also apparently looks like Santa Claus. But but to your point, the idea that if you're trying to be funny, you're not actually going to be funny right. because you're just you're attempting and it's manufactured. Mm -hmm. To some extent, that's what we hope what we're trying to do here. Um, the target audience for this, again, the people that we're trying to reach are people who have been in the Great Books program. So these are... Um, these are the Auburns. These are the Esters, you know, people like Ethan who are about to, to go all the way across the country uh, and and want to stay in touch with us in some way or another. And so the idea is that we try not to manufacture too much, that we talk about the things that we talk about that are things of substance and that hopefully are meaningful to this younger audience. Um, and as we go about this conversation, of course, there's going to be a large disparity between their experience and hours. But, the older we get, especially. Right. The older we get, the, the the worse that apparently this is this is going to become. You know, Kristen and Asia and several students are going to be mad that you didn't mention that. I was thinking the exact same thing, actually. But of course, you know. So we, we should just never mention, mention students at all. This is the way to go about it. Because they would. You know, when they were here, they would always go about, you know, are you the favorite? Are, are we not the favorite? Mm -hmm. So each week we're going to do a segment about what one of us is reading. Uh, I'm going to do it this week. So I just finished. I always read several things at one time, and I'm usually listening to a nonfiction audiobook. And then uh, I like to read hard copies of fiction. So the nonfiction book that I just finished was called Daily Rituals Women at Work. Mm. Sounds an empowering kind of work, doesn't it? What What prompted you to want to read that? So like, I, as you're looking at it, what, what's like, this is fascinating. I, I'm a woman. I should. No, it's more about I love productivity. Anything that helps us see or would help me see I'm doing it this way. If I did it this other way, it would be more efficient. And so I really like reading about people's daily routines. And so this book is short essays about famous women throughout history. So they're usually artists in some capacity. So writers or authors, photographers, something like that. But every now and then you get a CEO or somebody that's a little bit different. And it's just a very short glimpse at their daily life or how they work. Do they work in the morning? Do they work regular times? Did they write every day? So I think that stuff is interesting. However, it was so many different examples and not a lot of in-depth that I didn't love it. So I gave it three stars. Apparently, he wrote another book, The Guy Who Wrote Women in Work, because it is a male author. Hmm. He wrote another book, and it's just about people at work. And he thought that he used too small a percentage of female examples, and that's what led him to write the whole women book. So I don't know. So do you believe that our male audience could benefit from? Which one should they start with? I, don't, I wouldn't recommend Women at Work. I didn't think it was that great. You know, I bet if you or I wrote down our daily routines for her, 
she could learn a lot from that. I, I, I'm worried about that. What do you think she would want? In? Well, she would learn a lot about us in particular, but our, you know, our model efficiency. I think you're both pretty much creatures of habit. I would be willing to bet that both of you wake up around the same time every day and do relatively the same thing in the morning every single day. Well, but we also work very hard to coordinate with each other. So that, <laughs> right. so that, Not so the happens. same thing as each other, but the same thing <laughs> as the day before. Well, I wonder if in part this kind of efficiency is linked to our experience with great books, right? Because part of the idea is that we want to be able to um, talk about how we personally got connected to great books Right. And of course, how we have ended up where we have ended up in terms of terms of vocation. Um, I'm trying to think about who I would be most interested since we apparently are way too similar. I would imagine your story is very similar to mine. I was curious about, you know, Tayton, how you how you got connected to great books. I'm, I want to know how we moved from like the Twilight Saga to great books. Or was it the other way around? <laughs> What are the odds that we're going to have one episode that Twilight doesn't get brought up? Like, We should have a count. Zero. Garrett yeah, says zero. zero okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, that should be our new thing where there's like a bell that dings every time one of you references Twilight. Nice. Um, so I was an English major at Auburn. I always loved to read. I, I didn't always know I wanted to be an English professor, but I just knew that I wanted to do something uh, with reading. But I didn't even know what the great books were necessarily until I started the master's program here at Faulkner. <clears throat> and so I got my master's in humanities with an emphasis in literature. And when I started the program, I think I had a very similar experience to most freshmen in the great books program in that I felt very over my head and was out of my comfort zone. And I really liked I knew that I liked reading, but I, I didn't think, well, just because I like reading literature doesn't mean I like to read philosophy or about political science or mm -hmm. about these other things. And so it was very almost shocking to me. And I was, I was very uncomfortable. But luckily, Dr. Woods, who used to be the director of the Great Books program, he kind of talked me into staying. And I ended up, you know, being very thankful at the end of it that I, I felt like I had a more well-rounded education at the end of it than if I had just gone into a master's in English program. Mm -hmm. But that was, you know, so I was 22 before I had any experience with the great books at all, I think. Yeah, and I um, I didn't have much experience either. And it's, it's probably bears noting that most people hadn't. Um, I mean, if you think about the great books tradition developing mostly in uh, out of the University of Chicago in mid-20th century. I mean, it, it's still relatively new. Um, the books themselves aren't, but the, the program as a model is is still new. Um, and so I didn't have any sort of classical or Socratic upbringing. Um, I went, I like, you know, always say that I went to a pagan school, went to Babylon U. And um, and so I, you know, I experienced good literature through my my English program, but I was initially was a psychology major. Um, I was going to go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was a psychology major. I was uh, actually going to go into chiropractic school at one point. What? Yeah, I know. They told him his hands were too big. <laughs> so did you want to be a counselor? Um, I, I did flirt with the idea of being a marriage and family counselor at one point. Yeah. Um, so that was interesting. That was the plan. Um, 
This is, of course, after my dreams of being a film director, a um, radio star, and uh, the head of the FBI kind of fell apart. So, um, so yeah, I, I decided I was going to be an English major. I had I had been reading all these textbooks, been really engaged in my psychology studies, and um, decided to read Moby Dick for fun, and loved it. You started with there. that's what you decided to start with. Yeah, I mean, and then I said to myself, if I'm loving Moby Dick, if I think this is great stuff. And uh, I'm not bored from all of the references to rigging and ropes and sails and sperm oil. Then I'm really enjoying myself. This is good stuff. I that's, should go into this. That's what I was wondering. Like, what about 80% whaling manual <laughs> made you think I'm an English major? Right. I was just captivated. I mean, it, parts of it, yeah, you know, a couple of chapters are a little dull. But I, I love the writing. Um, and when the, you get to the story, the narrative aspects... Um, you know, Melville is just absolutely spellbinding. Um, so I, I, I just was thrilled. And I said to myself, I'm definitely in the wrong profession. I need to go into literature. So I majored in English eventually, uh, got a master's in English and was teaching high school um, and decided I really want to go on advanced degrees. I went to University of Edinburgh was the first real interdisciplinary kind of approach uh, that I had to anything. Uh, and so that that in, in many ways prepared me for for what I'm doing now. But that was a master specifically in medieval medieval studies. studies. It was an inter interdisciplinary degree in <laughs> medieval studies. Um, so history and literature, philosophy, art. I mean, we covered the whole gamut. Oh, it was a great experience. Um, so that that kind of laid some foundation for what I what I do now, really. I mean, what, what we we take all these different works and we um, look at different perspectives in this sort of overarching tradition. Um, so, but but how I got into this program was, I was hired to teach in English. And then what was it, seven years ago? Um, Andrew, you asked me to come in and sit in on a class and yeah, we co-taught very soon, <laughs> very quickly. Uh, we co-taught together and just fell in love with it. We only had a handful of students back then, but the conversations were absolutely incredible. And uh, I mean, kind of everything you you want when we think about you know teaching great books classes, I mean, this, is, this was it. Uh, and so I said, yeah, I, I can do this long-term. This, this works. Yeah. And I was actually a, uh, you may have known this, I was actually a criminal justice major when I first... I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I was a criminal justice major, had vague notions that I was going to work for some law enforcement agency. I was going to be in the FBI and potentially shoot people. So both of you had FBI I, I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, maybe it was a byproduct of like the Fox Mulder X-Files. Absolutely. That was exactly it. Oh my word! I, there it's was an like X Files another component. piece of the puzzle falls into place. <laughs> so, so, so highly intelligent and armed, so right? That exactly. was that and was looking for cool. aliens, and looking for aliens and extraterrestrials, I should say. The truth being out there, but we ended up finding the truth. We just didn't go through it via the FBI. There we go. Okay. No, but it's not an alien podcast. <laughs> this is not one of those. No, but I was actually. <laughs> I was actually sitting uh, in my criminal justice class and um, nothing wrong with the instructor. The instructor was doing a fantastic job. It was a wonderful class. I stayed in it. I enjoyed it. But I'm sitting in class and I'm thinking, I can't do this for the rest of my life. This is just not what I want to do. And so I had that weird moment of, okay, well, do I technically get up right now and just walk out? Or, <laughs> or but I, That's the way you withdraw from a class. Well, apparently. You just, you just, <laughs> just walk out and disappear. <laughs> never, never come back. Um, but I just knew it wasn't something that I wanted to, to do for the rest of my life. And so... I um uh, I stayed in the class, but I, I talked to my advisor. And so I was kind of at that point where I had to rethink 
what do you want to do? Uh, and so I loved English. Uh, it was something that I was always enjoyed. There were always books in the house. We were always talking about books. And so I decided to pr pursue that. Uh, and what was interesting to me, the way that I always end up thinking about it, and I guess the clarity comes from just getting older and, and looking back on it. Um, I think um, Christian education with great books absolutely saved my life because uh, I was in high school. Went to a public education system, was okay. Um, as an older person now, looking back, was not doing what it was supposed to be doing. It could have been a whole lot more. There, there could have been a lot more um, rigor. There could have been a lot more richness. There could have been a lot more um, passion related to it uh, and content. And it just wasn't there. And so I'm walking down the hallway, and um, all of a sudden I hear my friend and the guidance counselor basically just say, oh, yeah, he's right here. Yanks me out of the hallway, and it was a, uh, an admissions counselor. And uh, simply because of that conversation right there, I ended up um, coming to Faulkner University and two things happened at once. I ended up getting in Bible classes led by um, really good, kind, charitable uh, Christian men who, who uh, were very good at what they were doing and knew scripture and kind of introduced that to me in a, in a new way. And then I got involved with the Great Books program. Uh, and so I had, it was kind of just these twin experiences where I'm digging into scripture, I'm, 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 the way that it it kind of ended up occurring to me, it was it was like I remembered having a conversation that I'd begun when I was very young, uh, and I resumed that conversation. That's interesting. Um, it was fascinating as it happened, and both of them were taking place. And so I was I was in these classes. I was I was hearing the gospel. We were digging into into scripture, um, but then I was involved in this program that forced you to think. It gave you something, it terrified you, it confused the mess out of you, but it absolutely required you to use your brain and process it and try to figure out what it was saying and interact with other people. Um, and for me personally, this is one reason that I love the program as much as I do, and I want to get as many people in the program or uh, immersed in it as possible, is I saw personally what it did for me. Um, fundamentally changed the nature of my life. Again, like, I, you know, we joke, but I came into it, CJ major, going to work for the government, wanted to carry a gun, wanted to do this. And uh, on the way out, I want to be a teacher. I want to interact with young people. I love books. I love literature. I want to pursue the truth in that way. Um, I want to um, engage in family and, and, and raise my kids in this sort of environment. So it, for me, it was, it was very, very dramatic. Um, and I guess another way for us to kind of express the significance of GB is to try to get at this idea of what exactly GB means to you. Like if you could attempt to synthesize it, how would you, how would you answer that question? What does great books mean to you? I think it gets to most of what we talk about in this program and most of what the literature that I think is included in great books includes is this question of goodness and like what is good at the end of the day this is what matters and now there's going to be some disagreement about that among authors um but that's kind of we're we are seeking truth and mm -hmm. if that's not what we're doing then what else are we doing on this earth you know and so i think it's just that's why this literature has endured through time this that's why this literature means so much to so many people because it really when you're reading it you're engaging with something that's so much higher and so much more important than just yourself as an individual so i think that's what's always um appealed to me about it yeah i'd say very similarly i mean you have different types of people 
right? We were talking about this once, actually, just this last week when in one of our classes, when a student was saying that for her family, um, a particular family member, her family member, this this person just doesn't really ask very deep questions. They're, they they do their duty. They love God. They um, are faithful to their family, all that. They're perfectly good person, but they don't feel the desire to ask deep questions. Uh, and I'd say that's probably true of a large percentage of the population, but there is another very sizable percentage of the population that wants to ask deep questions, that is interested in pursuing questions for which they may not find an immediate answer or may not find any answer, but it's the pursuit that drives them. It's this kind of, it's this hunger for truth. It's this need to encounter God in a holistic way, um, not just emotionally, uh, but intellectually as well. And conversations with these great books authors allows that, that encounter with God to take place. So even if we're, if we're reading someone like Dante, who's obviously a very devout Christian, has a very uh, kind of clear scheme of uh, the universe, versus someone like Nietzsche, who doesn't believe in God at all, and thinks that Christianity is a waste of time and is actually destroying Western civilization. Um, from either of those, you know, those, those spots on the spectrum, we can have a conversation with these students wherever they're at and help them encounter truth, help them discover God in ways that are particular to their unique talents and interests. Well, and, and I, I, the idea of selling something is terrifying to me like that that in, in terms of like jobs there's a lot of jobs that i would not want that is absolutely definitely one of them however one of the reasons that i think allows me to speak passionately about great books and uh, it's it's why i often get very um discouraged when we have folks who depart from the program who decide to not pursue the program is because I, in my mind um the way that GB functions, it seems to represent just the ideal vehicle to grow closer to Christ. Um, the manner in which it does it, the content we're talking about, we're, we're getting into the most significant ideas that we have seen over the course of our lifetime. But not only that, it, we're doing it in such a way where we're interacting with other people. And we are getting to know each other on a very uh, personal level. And so the and everybody is able to gain from it, even if you may not necessarily have certain uh, intellectual capabilities uh, or if you if, if you struggle with certain aspects of the program, the more that you're able to put into it, that much more you're able to sort of get out of it. Uh, and so it, it to some degree meets you where wherever you are. Um, yeah, I think the like what's special about this program has to do with that community. And I think the people who are vulnerable in class and put ideas out there, even when, you know, they may be more introverted, but if they speak up and say, well, maybe it means this or, or ask these, you know, further questions, I think those are the people who benefit the most. Um, like you're saying, it's, it's the more you put in, the more you get. Well, and even that, I mean, you can have someone who's more introverted. You can have someone who's more timid to speak out in class. But because of the welcoming nature, the hospitality we try to cultivate within the classroom, even if they're not willing to really speak up in class, they may come behind and meet us in our offices. That helps build the kind of relationships that really I found to be long lasting. We have relationships with students that have gone long after they've graduated. 
And so that absolutely ex explains why essentially this is what we have chosen to do with our do with our time. This is what we want to do. Uh, and so hopefully uh, over the course of uh, these podcasts, we'll be able to um, express more of our love and appreciation for great books and uh, use some of this discussion, use some of this information and uh, connect it to other things to live a, a much richer uh, and diverse life. So some of the things that we can sort of look forward to uh, over the course of uh, these podcasts, we really want to get the students involved. More often than not, uh, some of our most significant conversations happen simply when a student will ask a question uh, related to something that we're dealing with or something that has been on his or her mind. And so we'll be able to uh, uh, to dig into those. There's uh, various philosophical questions and scenarios we're going to look at. We'll have a couple of Q&As, uh, as well as just events that we're going to be looking at uh, down the future. I know that one of these that we're going to be uh, experiencing that is one of your personal favorites is uh, the uh, Hallmark tradition. Oh yes, uh, during Christmas because yeah. I know you have a deep and 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 wondrous affection for everything that is Hallmark. Well, I definitely have a deep and wondrous affection for everything that is Christmas. Um, Hallmark is not usually among them, um, but but yeah, we can talk Hallmark if you want to talk Hallmark. That's fine. But we do be looking out for those kind of things. Uh, we'll if you follow us on our GB Instagram page, uh, we are actually going to be soliciting um, questions from students. Uh, we're going to be uh, soliciting uh, topics uh, for discussion, things like that. So um, that'll that'll be coming in the near future, and we'll be able to to deal with some of those things on this podcast. All right. Uh, in the meantime, we are going to say goodbye, and uh, you should be reading good books. Amen. Reason and Nonsense, a Great Books podcast has been a Be Better production. A heartfelt thank you to executive producer Madeline Furlong, technical supervisor Garrett Akins, and the love, support, and playful mockery of the GBT. So we're going to be doing these podcasts fairly regularly throughout the fall and spring semesters. Yes, we hope. This is horrible. <laughs> This is a lot harder than I would have thought it was going to be.